maybe 15 or so years ago, there was this idea that it was kind of a choice between purpose and, and profit. And if uh, you wanted to be more purposeful company, then it was maybe going to be concessionary capital or catalytic capital, etc. Welcome to Positive. Find us on Twitter at POSI, the number two IVE. This bi-weekly podcast is for active investors and founders just like you, focused on venture-scale positive impacts. I'm your host, Zeka Len, an angel investor in the private capital markets here in sunny SoCal. Today's guest is Romain Diaz, the founder and CEO of Satkana, a venture studio. He's calling in from Lisbon today. This episode will include three sections. First, the mercenary. Next, emerging sustainability. And last, good company. Welcome to the show, Romain. Thank you so much for having me, Zeke. I'm really happy to be here. Oh my gosh, we've been talking about doing this for some time, and I'm I'm excited to have you here. Your your background is is really interesting. Actually, speaking of that, can you share more about your background and what inspired you to get into the field of of impact? Sure, thank you. Uh, there can be a short or a long answer to this, but I guess I'll do rather a short one, and then we, we'll dive in. So basically, as you may hear from my accent, I'm originally from France, but I've been in various emerging countries for the past 10 or so years, mostly building companies and mostly through a type of, um, of uh, support structure that we referred to as venture studios or venture builders, company builders, company factories. It has many names for one and the same thing, which is basically starting companies from scratch. So I've been involved in this type of structures for almost 10 years, initially more, I would say, in traditional tech entrepreneurship, in fintech, e-commerce, mobility, and, and various other industries. And for the past two or so years, I've been increasingly interested and committed to sustainability and climate action and social impact. So we can dive a bit more into the whole story, but yeah, basically there has been quite a shift in my uh, raison d'être, in my uh, in my why, basically, why I do the things that I do. And that is now really driven by the purpose of using business as a force for good and trying to harness market dynamics to create solutions to the great problems that are humanity and planet are facing so that led me to start this new company which i guess we're going to talk about but yeah the long story short is now really that i want to to use business as a force for good i can tell you you care so much about the work you do and i love to get guests just like you on the show it just it's it's wonderful to to be inspired by your passion and to um, provide a bridge for an opportunity to speak speak to people about this i know the listeners are going to love it and, um, I want to ask you one thing that, that stood out from what you said, and I like the, your description of venture studio versus venture builders and such. I um, myself didn't know that there was another kind and different names for it, and that's really fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit about these venture studio, venture builders, and what makes them different from, say, incubators, for example? Sure. So, indeed, I've been in this space for about 10 years, initially through a famous, infamous uh, venture builder, venture studio, uh, which is called Rocket Internet, which is quite famous for uh, doing copycats of existing models in developed countries and then implementing them in more developing or emerging countries. So I was part of uh, the very early days of Jumia, which is which ended up becoming the first African unicorn, basically a copycat of Amazon for the African continent. So I was part of the very early team in Morocco. 
Um, so really interesting. And that's what got me in the space of venture studios, venture builders. And then I joined another venture studio, venture builder in South Africa, which was also founded by former Rocket Internet people. So that really got me into the space of venture builders, venture studios. And I would say that it has been an emerging subset of the asset class of venture capital. That's how I uh, view it, at least. Not all studios are um, really uh, an asset class in and of itself. There's many shapes and forms of it. Hmm. But uh, I, I see it as basically being the earliest stage so um, as much as there has been the creation of the seed uh, subcategory then pre-seed category we could refer to as venture studios or venture builders as being the pre-pre-seed yes. <laughs> if we can call it like that uh, and it's basically about building a portfolio from the very very early stage typically earlier than what an accelerator or a VC would do and also one key difference is that it's really not only about just investing capital, but also investing human capital, human resources, operational resources into building these companies from scratch. So again, there's many types of venture builders, venture studios, but generally, at least the ones that I see really working are the ones that invest a lot of operational resources, such as finance resources, marketing resources, operational resources, design resources, technology resources, in our case, also sustainability, impact resources, to really help the startups to go from zero to one. It's also a lot more bespoke than an accelerator because it's really going, or at least that's what the way we do it, is really going from zero to first round of funding. It's not like a, a batch of companies that go through exactly the same program. It's really you take a company and you build it until it's basically ready to fly by its own wings. Wonderful. And I, I suppose maybe similar to an incubator in that sense, but I guess I'm trying to wonder, I'm wondering what the difference between, maybe they're similar in venture studios or incubators? So I would say that incubators, um, there's many things that could be put behind it. I would say that generally it's a, a word that we use less these days I in see. the startup uh, world. Uh, again, there's many shapes and forms of both venture studios, venture builders, and incubators. Mm -hmm. uh, generally, I think the connotation is that incubators are quite associated with universities and mostly nonprofits oh, or potentially with corporates also, corporate incubators. Interesting. Whereas uh, the, the, the studio or the venture builder model is more akin to somehow an accelerator in the sense that it's really for profit. It's a, a structure in and of itself, which is independent, but with a different model than the accelerator model. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I guess in the United States, I've, I've heard um, I've heard of incubators being geared toward venture at times. So maybe, maybe some people have different views on how these words are used. And it's, it's important to, to learn how these words can signify certain things and signal things. So I appreciate you pointing that out. That's really awesome. And uh, that's... Yeah, actually, um, I would say that in the course of the 2000s and beginning of 2010s, there has been lots of accelerators popping up and some standardizations. So typically the three months, six months program, and uh, it's been quite standardized and then verticalized and uh, then per region, etc. So it's now, uh, again, this um, 
it's not uh, homogeneous, but there's uh, quite some uh, standards around what an accelerator is, the Techstars and the 500 and the Y Combinator, etc. Whereas for Venture Studios, it's uh, it's a bit more nascent, even though there has been studios for the past 20 years, uh, Idea Lab and, and a few others. But it's really these days, like really in the beginning of the 20s, I, I would say, or end of the 2010s, that we're really seeing an uptake of the Venture Studio, Venture Builder model globally. So not yet as standardized at accelerators and internal VCs. Excellent. Well, I think we should break out into the juicy stuff now. Um, let's move into section one with the mercenary. Um, back to the venture studio background, you shared you shared your experience with Rocket Internet. Um, I, I don't want to lead you into anything to tell your story, but tell me kind of how you fell into venture capital, if you could. Yeah, so I actually came into the VC world in a sense, although it's, it was not really VC per se, or it was, I would say, a very specific type of VC. It was really Rocket Internet, which is quite a unique model in, in itself. Learned a lot of uh, some things that I think are great, some of the things that I think should be done differently. But yeah, what got me into it was the fact that I really loved the approach of being pioneering into new markets. Back in 2012 or so, when I joined uh, Rocket Internet, there was not really much e-commerce in Africa at all. And they have been really structuring for the ecosystem in opening markets in, in Morocco, in Egypt, in Nigeria, and then in, in, I think, up to 14 African countries. And then they ended up become, becoming a unicorn and listing on the NASDAQ, etc. Um, and I just love the pioneering approach of opening new markets, bringing existing models to markets that had pretty much no internet and no internet businesses really up and running. And also the fact that they really came like from scratch. It's not existing in, uh, investing into existing businesses. It's really like taking businesses from scratch, building them, building the infrastructure, building the payment system, building the logistics, building the, um, the, all the products, etc. It was very e-commerce focused, obviously. And uh, yeah, they really invented a model of uh, of duplicating all these businesses in, in many countries, including some countries where there was pretty much no tech internet businesses back then. Incredible. Do you think that part of that strategy is surrounding the time it takes for venture-backed companies to move into different markets, just kind of going there before that other com- t- company tries to get there? Yes, and it has worked out quite well for them in certain markets and in some others. I would say even today, it was too early. Even when they listed in the NASDAQ, they had to close some countries, unfortunately, just because uh, also becoming a listed company that comes with a certain set of constraints that uh, make them... uh, needing to focus a bit more on profitability, etc. So the pioneering approach has worked in some markets, whereas it hasn't worked in others, like like in any uh, you know entrepreneurial endeavor, some things work, some things don't. But overall, I think um, as much as uh, there are things that I believe should be done better, and uh, I think their model has worked really well in the beginning of the 2010s and is less uh, scaled these days, uh, they have brought a lot of uh, innovation to, to the ecosystem and inspired many others to take different approaches, such as uh, what I did then with my uh, the rest of my beginning of career in the venture studio space. Amazing. And um, I, I, I guess I want to understand maybe your experience w- working in those markets. What were some of the learnings you had there in, in terms of 
things that you you had overlooked before? You mentioned infrastructure. Indeed. So um, after being at Rocket Internet, I joined another venture builder, which was also very much in the same type of model of duplicating the, the, the more like existing models from developed countries back into more emerging countries. So learned a lot through another one called Africa Internet Accelerator back then. And then I started to, well, I co-founded a venture studio of my own in, in South Africa and started to actually start startups myself within that studio. And one question I got asked being a Frenchman in South Africa uh, was by my French uh, friends, counterparts, was uh, is it easier or harder to do business in South Africa as compared to Europe, for example? That's a good question. Although I don't have much experience building businesses in, or at least back then didn't have an experience building a business in France, but had some insights into it. And I always say that there are things that are easier and some that are harder. So typically uh, one thing which is not necessarily easier, but um, uh, I would say paves the way for innovation and growth and scale is the fact that you can quite simply take existing models from more developed countries and implement it in implement them in the in the local countries so e-commerce or um, any technology business or food delivery or even b2b saas those that really are localized you can kind of take best practice from existing businesses and implement them in emerging economies, uh, taking some of the approach that work in other markets and just implementing them and localize them. That obviously comes with pitfalls, especially when you really try to do copy-paste. That does not always work. But generally, that's, that's a thing. It's less competitive because there's less capital, there's fewer entrepreneurs, there's less things happening. So that paves the way for entrepreneurship to, to actually, or for, for entrepreneurs to really create ideas that can work. But also at the same time, there's also downsides, like in everything in life. Uh, you, it's harder to get talent, for example. Um, there's less infrastructure in terms of uh, payment, in terms of uh, technology, in terms of service providers, etc. So as everything in life, there are things that are easier and some that are harder. But overall, really good experience to, to build businesses in emerging countries. Oh, I imagine. And can you tell me, did you see any uh, of these startups, did you see any of them branch out into other neighboring countries or regionally or even internationally? That's a good question. So what I came to realize is that from an outside perspective, whether you come from Europe or from the Americas or from Asia, you kind of, because my experience was more in Africa, you kind of look at Africa as like one big market. Uh, some people say it's the next China, it's one billion inhabitants, it's going to be two billion in the next century, etc. So you could look at it as like one big market, but it's actually 54 markets. And uh, there are, generally, we talk about four main markets markets in Africa. We call them the big four. That's South Africa, Kenya, Nigeria, and Egypt, um, typically. And uh, they are very, very different markets. So for a startup that is born in one market, I have seen some of them try to expand geographically into the neighboring market, but mostly there's a big difference, for example, between South Africa and uh, neighboring countries like uh, like Namibia or Mozambique that are much less developed. So South African companies would potentially look rather at Kenya or Nigeria, or if it's like, a, for example, a B2B offering to go into more developed markets like um, 
For example, one company that I co-founded and, and I'm a board member is a company that does uh, conversational AI solutions for the financial industry. We started in South Africa. It, we, we started, we, we built the team, the product, we scaled the company, raised a couple of rounds of venture capital. And then after we really considered what was the next growth market, could have been Africa, but we decided to actually go to Europe. So now we're expanding into Europe and opening three countries, uh, France, Portugal, and UK. And that has come as the next growth market. But that's also because we're B2B. So it really depends. There's no magic formula for expansion. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think it's uh, it's important to realize that there are really, really different markets within Africa, like like in most emerging countries. Excellent. Well, I think before we break out into the next section, I, I would like to ask you a little bit more about this startup in particular and kind of what problem it's solving. Yeah, sure. So that company is called FinChatBot and it was started within the first venture studio that I co-founded, which was called Far Ventures. So we were ideating with many um, ideas, problems that we wanted to, to tackle and basically build companies. That was really the mantra. It was to build companies because entrepreneurship is cool and because we were just hungry and uh, a bit foolish entrepreneurs. We just wanted to <laughs> build companies. Hence, <laughs> hence the venture studio model that was working quite well for me because I had so many ideas and I wanted to work on all of them rather than focus on one. In hindsight, it was not always yeah, the I, right decision. Listeners note that. That's really... That's a great take. I like that. <laughs> so yeah, made lots of mistakes as well. Um, in hindsight, I don't know if it's what I would do again, but it's it's my path, and at least it really got me to do lots. What were some of the learnings for you? And like you mentioned, things you may want to do differently, or maybe suggest otherwise. Yeah, I learned the hard way a few things. So it um, one was around really being thoughtful on the way you do partnerships, business partnerships uh, with not with co-founders, the reason why you go into business, uh, just really ensuring and taking proper time to ensure that there is full alignment on ambitions, on values, on missions, on uh, visions, etc. Rather than jump too quickly into partnerships, that has been uh, hard-earned learnings in the past, and uh, definitely something that I'm doing that I'm a lot more thoughtful in this new endeavor that I'm that I'm setting up now. Um, I would say this has been one of the hardest lessons, um, but also happy I went through it because that taught me a lot about business partnerships and a lot about uh, yeah, knowing why you do the things and ensuring that you surround yourself with people who are really aligned for the same reason as you uh, for the long term. So I guess that would be one of the key learnings then. And obviously, lots of more operational learnings on on everything from uh, marketing to finance to growth to um, technology to fundraising, etc. But I guess if I had to pinpoint to one learning, it would be uh, this around partnership and also around really figuring out what the why of the company is, which is the deep soul searching that I went through that led me to then found this new company. Oh, well, excellent. Well, let's let's uh, let's talk more about this. Why before we go right into emerging sustainability? Uh, how how does how did you develop your why in terms of sustainability? Where did you where did you yeah, get that? So 
after doing this first startup studio of my own in South Africa, which then we had raised a, a nano fund, which has been fully invested. So I had the, also I had, I was fortunate to, uh, to have a small modest exit and also sell some of my shares into another company, which gave me a bit of a financial. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So that was, that was modest, but that enabled me to have the luxury of really taking time off uh, before my 30th birthday and um, yeah I decided to I was also a bit depleted so that's also that that was a trigger of me really uh, thinking like why why do not have any more energy what what is it that makes me uh, yeah being completely depleted so I realized that I was not driven by the right why and I was fortunate to be able to yeah to travel to take time to do proper soul searching I went to India I really took the time to figure out what I wanted to do and that's when I started to come across some of the bigger challenges that humanity is facing and I realized that for me it was really uh, business can be good and can be bad, can have a positive impact, can have a negative impact. And I really realized that my my purpose on, on this planet actually is to really do whatever I have in my capacity to bring into the world what I believe it needs. And that is care, that is authenticity, that is compassion, that is love, that is helping others. That really came very strong as being my purpose. And I figured that my job, my work, my everything that I do should be serving this purpose, whether that's within work or outside of work. And um, so I, I took a bit of a step back. What did I do for the past uh, eight or so years? I realized that the venture studio model is great, but could be used in other ways to try to really bring good into the world. And that's when I came across, yeah, again, the, the big challenges that we're facing as humanity, both in terms of social challenges and environmental challenges. The big one, obviously, being climate, climate change and um, biodiversity loss and pollution and, and all these big topics. So, yeah, when I started to dig into it and I, I learned about the framework of the Sustainable Development Goals from the UN and, and all these things and really digging, I understood that basically I had no choice. I have no other choice than putting all I have, all my energy, all my time, all my money, everything I have to try and do good through uh, my, my, professional, uh, my professional life. And that led you to to this show and, and to our conversation. <laughs> I'm I'm honored. I'm absolutely honored. I I feel it's my privilege to be here with you. I I want to um I want to talk about a couple things. Uh, I also had so many inspirations from world travel that seems you highlighted. You had similar inspirations. I wonder if you could maybe try to synthesize what it was about traveling in in a sense that gave you a different worldview that you hadn't have because because here's the thing you're very uh, internationally minded you're you're, you're you've you've worked in different countries etc but there was something that, that you mentioned about travel which really stimulated you and i, I just was hoping you'd highlight yeah. it if it, if it didn't yeah go too most far. definitely so i've spent the first 20 years of my life in in france very happily but as soon as i had the opportunity to go travel i went for 6 months in australia 6 months in mexico 6 months in china then morocco and then south africa then i did a full travel all around the world like uh, 30 
you saw countries, etc. I, I became super, oh, super my. hungry of really just discovering the world. Uh, now, in hindsight, I look at my carbon footprint and don't feel so good, but I guess I'll, I'll offset all of it. Understood. <laughs> uh, well, don't we have to take that into consideration <laughs> in terms of what you would have uh, burned otherwise as well? Well, let's say that all what um, I learned through my travels and my soul searching, etc., has also led me to do what I do today. And if we really measure it in terms yes. of uh, uh, tons of CO2 in my whole life, I hope I hope to reduce and remove more tons of CO2 that I've emitted by far through through Good my work. <laughs> Let's put it like this. Very good. Um, but yeah, traveling has definitely been uh, very defining for me in uh, yeah in all all my travels and especially this travel that I did in, in India about uh, two and a half years ago, going through uh, I wouldn't say burnout but i was really depleted in, in terms of energy also going through a hard break and uh, going through really what do i want to do and that um, i think it's also when you're a bit lost and everything is open you really consider all options that it also gets you closer to 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 your deep self basically of of really mm -hmm. what you are who you want to be and realizing that life is open to anything anything you want to create um i started to to understand that for me life has no purpose in and of itself but i can give a purpose to my life and and this is it so oh that's that's really wonderful the way you you frame it and also i want to just highlight your emphasis on the sdgs we both share that that purpose and passion that we I, we both see them as valuable to integrate into VC impact. And I want to say that I think what I'm sensing from you is that your exposure, meeting people from around the world, being inspired by people, cultures, being open to, to life, so to speak, is part of what I think makes you aligned really, really strongly with that fully integrated aspect of the SDGs. And I think some people try to partition it and say it's climate or it's social impact. But in fact, I think it you're looking at things holistically and, and I, I see things that way. I, I, I just like the way you framed it. Indeed. Indeed. Um, I think right now what we're seeing is that there's lots of tailwinds, obviously in terms of climate, in terms of net zero commitments, etc. And I think that's really wonderful that people are awakening to the climate reality, that companies are starting to align towards pledges for net yes. zero, etc. And that's wonderful. But it's, as you're saying, it's so important to keep in mind that there is also lots of other challenges. And what I liked about the SDGs, it may not be a perfect framework, but I like the fact that it really shows you that there's, uh, this is basically the world we want to live in. This is the world we have to build all together. And there's a big interlink between all the SDGs. So, for example, say if um, uh, you, you, you want to focus on, uh, I mean, SDG 2, Zero Hunger is very much linked to also SDG 6 on water and sanitation. It's also linked to oceans, SDG 14, and life on yes. land, SDG 15. Yeah. That's the typical interlink. Or uh, say education and education of girls in particular also has a big impact on climate because if girls in emerging countries are more educated, then they have fewer kids and that has uh, an impact on climate. So there's really an interconnection of all the SDGs. And I like to say that I don't 
have a favorite SDG in and of itself. I have. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't put you there. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the SDGs. I, I like the framework. I think it makes a lot of sense, and it makes sense also to have dedicated funds for climate, for education, for infrastructure, etc. Yes. But I really like the holistic aspect of looking at the SDGs as an interconnected um, wheel, basically, that everything is linked and interconnected to each other. Uh, good reference to the wheel there as well. Okay, let me ask you a question about the SDGs and your focus on international development types of opportunities. Do you see particular regions or zones which highlight uh, opportunities that align with sub-goals of the SDGs? How, how do you look at the sub-goals? Yes, so that's a good question that I also ask myself a lot. Um, I think there's clearly national priorities in terms of the SDGs. Uh, and that is highlighted through different frameworks. But generally, if I have to summarize how, how I see it, is that generally most of what is happening in emerging countries is more the social um, pillar of the SDGs. So that's uh, typically around poverty and hunger and health and education, etc. Whereas in more developed countries like Europe and the US, it's generally what we're seeing more around the environmental goals, uh, climate action, biodiversity, uh, oceans, etc. And rightly so, because the more developed countries are the ones that pollute the most and have the biggest per capita emissions. Uh, so generally, that's what I'm seeing. But in terms of the way we are doing it with, with Sadhgana is that we're a fully distributed organization that has teams around Europe, Africa, and also a bit from India. And uh, we're basically leveraging remote work to show that it's possible to build great companies with teams that are scattered, distributed around the world. Uh, so, yeah, Amazing. I can tell you a bit more about um, our strategy, our portfolio. Yeah, let's yeah. break out. Let's break out into the good company, um, the good company section on Satgana. Can you tell us first about the vision, and then we'll talk about the details in terms of the strategy. Yeah, sure. So uh, maybe I'll start with with the name because I think it's it's quite important to understand where it, it comes from. It uh, it's also back from my time of soul searching of really wanting to do good, and uh, that's when I was in India and I looked into Sanskrit and how to say a good company. And that's basically what Sadgana means. It means a good company. And that's what we intend to do, to be in the world. And also we want to be a sort of nursery or home or a maternity or whatever metaphor you want to use for other good companies to be born in the world. So that's where the name Wonderful. comes from. And that's really what we wish to inspire by helping entrepreneurs to create companies for the right reasons and to do them well. So to do them on a solving real world problems. So it's not about just creating a company for the sake of making money, although we are a for-profit company and, and we hope to generate a, a superior returns for investors. But that is only part of the goal. Uh, there must be really an impact angle. And my fundamental belief is that 
maybe 15 or so years ago, there was this idea that it was kind of a choice between purpose and, and profit. And if uh, you wanted to be more purposeful company, then it was maybe going to be concessionary capital or catalytic capital, etc. And then I think there has been more and more examples of companies showing that it's possible to actually do good and do well, so be profitable while also having a positive impact. And uh, I think we have great examples with the likes of obviously Tesla with electric vehicles or Beyond Meat or, or this kind of, of companies that really also have an environmental impact. And my fundamental belief is that this next decade is going to be around a full alignment of the most profitable companies and the most successful successful companies are going to be the ones that solve the biggest problems. So it's not going to be um, purpose and profit. It's going to be profit because purpose. That is my fundamental belief, and um, this is how this is why we're in the world, and this is also how we analyze companies. Is are we confident that this company is really solving a problem? which can be done at scale and hence, as a consequence, be financially very successful. Amazing. Well, let, let's maybe break out to some of the specifics because I'm, I'm so curious how you tend to, what your process sometimes looks like. Um, I, I wonder, do you search out companies generally or do you have a very nascent founder who comes to you and says, I have an idea? Where do you start to engage? Where do you see this opportunity? And how do you start looking at opportunities that are outside of the view of those founders or that founding. Yeah, that's a good question, and it um, it uh, ties a bit into this um, idea that there are many types of venture studios, venture builders. In the previous three venture builders, venture studios that I've been part of, we were doing internal ideation. So it was typically one of the founders of the studio that would have an idea and then bring in a founder to build the idea on behalf of the studio. And I think it can work, but it's not this approach that we have taken with Satkana. We've decided that we would source entrepreneurs that have an idea. They know the market. They are, they know it inside out. They know the problem and they know why they're doing it. And they are, they really have a quite a clear idea generally of what they want to do. But typically they're way too early to see a VC or even an accelerator. So that is our sweet spot. It's going to be typically a founder. Typically, it would be, uh, although we have some second-time, third-time founders, but most of them are pretty young. They don't have so much business experience, but they have a good knowledge of the problem they want to solve. But they need hand-holding. They need people who have experience around, uh, again, marketing, finance, operations, design, technology, sustainability, all these uh, resources that we, we are going to plug in to help them to go from zero to one to then to go to a stage where they can actually uh, do their thing and, and scale their company and raise external funding, etc. So that's typically how we go about it. So we have uh, entrepreneurs coming our way. We have um, uh, about, I think, 100 opportunities currently in the pipeline of entrepreneurs who want to build their company with us across different SDGs, a bit more environmental than social, but we really have both, all for profit. And um, yeah, we, we look at them. Then we look at different criteria to assess them from uh, whether we are confident in the ability of the founding team. Are they really purpose-driven? Uh, do they have really impact at heart? Do we think it can be a commercial opportunity that can scale and be financially successful? 
do we think there's a strong partnership in terms of venture building? Are they coach, coachable? And um, do we think it's founders that we want to work with for the next uh, five, seven years, basically? Fantastic. So you mentioned the um, the environmental focus or maybe something like Envi- EnviroTech or something. How do you look at the um, the physical constraints, sort of the capital needed to, to launch these companies, maybe R&D, things like that? Do you steer toward more on the software side or mm, yeah. what, what's your current It's situation? a good question. So um, our mandate is indeed to invest more into software-driven companies, so leveraging uh, software technologies such as AI, machine learning, SaaS, marketplaces, blockchain, etc., uh, more than hardware, um, but I'm saying this with the caveat that the first company that we've launched is actually a hardware company. <laughs> it's a company <laughs> that. that does uh, uh, electric mobility in, in Kenya. They're introducing swapping stations for motorbikes drivers to basically bring electric uh, vehicles into the Kenyan market and the East African market. So it's actually quite hardware heavy, but um, I mean, the founder is uh, exceptionally driven and uh, great founder that is who's young but I believe has the potential to really make the world a better place and uh, and really scale a company very successfully so yeah we what's what's the name of that company? it's called Madzi Mobility and the CEO is called uh, Jesse and uh, yeah he's a wonderful man that we've been working with for the past six months so yeah again uh, more software that that is more within our mandate but when there's a great company and we feel we can help them and we're going to raise capital both with equity funders but also with debt and revenue share or alternative ways of, of funding the hardware piece of the of the business that's really innovative you're you're combining different forms of capital to get started right yeah. off the bat yeah yeah that's incredible Amazing. And what do you look at in terms of, say, ownership for these types of companies? Does it depend on how much how much you invest or do you have a kind of a target range you look at? That is a good question again. And uh, I'm going to maybe reveal a bit of our secret sauce, but uh, one of... No, no, it's, it's fine. It's, uh, we're operating upon one... We have six values and one of them is radical transparency. So... Oh, good. I got you. I got you. Right <laughs> so um, in terms of radical transparency, what we're doing at the moment is that we are building an alpha portfolio where we are bringing sweat equity into a few selected businesses where we bring operational resources against a small equity stake, which is much like minority, uh, below 10%. And uh, the goal of doing that is to prove to our future LPs that we can attract good entrepreneurs, we can close deal with them, we can venture build, and we can raise external capital. And also we're putting these participations into the main fund, which makes it very appealing for our LPs because they there hasn't been any capital invested yet. Yet the LPs will have 80% of the upside into this 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 business is this alpha portfolio that we're currently building. Um, so that is currently how we're doing it. So I heard I heard what you said there is that you're using sweat equity as an as a, a way to attract talent to participate in these companies, perhaps get a job after the fact. Is that correct? Yes. So right now we invest basically sweat equity, so a lot of operational resources to help these companies go from zero to one. And going forward, we will also invest capital so that we will also be able to not only invest human capital, but also financial capital into these businesses. 
so that we can really cover the zero to one phase. And that would typically be an engagement of 12 to 18 months to get the company up to a level where it can basically then scale and raise its own capital and uh, and grow by itself after the venture building phase. And when you do a, a scenario like the alternative, do you tend to target, obviously have to target a slightly higher ownership ratio do you have a target there that, that aligns these companies with venture capital? Yeah. So typically, because we would come much earlier than a, than a traditional VC, uh, and because we will also be a lot more operationally involved, then we aim for 25 to 30% of equity into each of the startups uh, with a mix of preferred stock because of our financial investments and common stock because we're also kind of a co-founder, almost like an institutional co-founder to these businesses. I see. Indeed. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, that's that's super fast. Thank you for sharing that. That's the, the radical transparency aspect. I think that that's going to really be um, uh, a great um, branding mechanism, but also just a great opportunity to show that you really stand behind what you're doing. It's, it's wonderful. I thank you for sharing that. What are, what are some of your other um, principles, if, if you will? You mentioned there may be a few. Indeed. So uh, the overarching principle of our company is we strive to do the right thing. We're not saying we do the right thing, but we really strive. We do our very best to do the right thing. That is really the overarching one. And uh, that really relates to our name of trying to be a good company for the world. And then it's broken down into a couple of values, which are, first of all, acting with integrity, always being grounded in humility to foster radical transparency, to promote diversity, equity and inclusion at all levels of the company, from the board to the executive, to the team, to the investments that we will make. Uh, we're driven by a crazy ambition. It's a little bit crazy. I acknowledge it. And I often think... But wait, wait what, what's the crazy part? That sounds <laughs> all very sane to me. <laughs> well, to be honest, I, I, I often feel like I'm a little bit crazy, but I'm pulled by a vision which is greater than myself. And I think all the people who work with us and have joined us on this mission are also feeling like it's maybe a little bit crazy because it has not been done before to be a globally distributed. Well, li well, listen, listen, I want to speak directly to our listeners at the moment. This is not crazy. What, what Remain is suggesting, that seems like good business to me. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Zeka. So... Um, I still think there's a little bit of craziness, but I also think that there's no, uh, and I say this grounded in humility, but I think there's no great genius in life that has ever been created without a touch of madness. So, yeah, a, a bit of crazy ambition uh, to to hope that we can really pull this off. But but I think uh, over time, yeah. I, I just get excited by your passion your principles what you're working on here it, it's it's exciting so i want to maybe ask you to maybe mention some companies you've worked with recently or that you help you're helping to uh to scale if you could give shout outs to them and some things that that are different about them that got you excited 
And also we could break out maybe some markets that are that are interesting to you as well. Yeah. So right now our alpha portfolio is uh, just one company, uh, which is Madzi Mobility, this electric mobility in, in company in Kenya. We have a strong pipeline of a few startups that we're excited about, both in Europe and in Africa, um, different African markets. Uh, we also have some deal flow coming from India. These would be the main three geographies where we have deal flow and we think we can be relevant and our model can work, uh, but primarily um, Europe and Africa. And uh, yeah, we have a few interesting startups in the in the pipeline, uh, but that will hopefully be announced in the next couple of weeks slash months. <laughs> All right. That sounds really great. And will, will you get a chance to go to some of those places and work directly with people hopefully, there? Hopefully, hopefully, yes, as soon as things reopen a bit. Uh, right now, obviously, travel feels a bit uh, not ideal. Uh, and also, things actually work really well, really well, smoothly uh, within the team and also with uh, the portfolio companies that we engage with. Uh, so right now, I would say the focus is mostly to keep on going, do what we have to do in terms of uh, the different conversations, different stakeholders, the venture building, etc. But going forward, when things reopen a bit, um, I think definitely we would be really keen to go a bit more on site to build these companies alongside the entrepreneurs, definitely. Incredible. I'm excited to talk with you. Um, as you know, um, I I'm the GP of Responsibly Ventures, and we put that in the open recently. And um, I'm just excited to collaborate with you potentially now that you have kind of a, a global ambition that it could be amazing. Yeah, I'm very inspired by the, the work you're doing, Zeka, I must say. Uh, you, you just oh, launched. You. And uh, as a solo GP, I'm really inspired by, by, by your tweets and by, by everything you, you do and say. And, and the company you're building, I think we're so well aligned. Oh, you're so uh, and uh, I think you're also having some very exciting developments at the moment. Uh, so in terms of deal flow, LPs, etc. So I'm also really excited for you. We we are going to cause some trouble. That's what I like about yeah. this. This is a start of a, hopefully a friendship and a collaboration. <laughs> I'm really excited that you, you, had, you took the time to be on the show and sharing your life story and your passion and your, your company that you're building now. I mean, I'm just, I'm really excited for you. And okay, so here we have it. Um, I want to thank you for being on the show. And I'd, if you could let our listeners know kind of how they can reach out, how they can get involved and other things you see that are interesting right now, you want to point people. Sure. To. So um, first of all, I want to say thank you so much, Zeka, for doing the work you do uh, in terms of your new fund that I'm really excited about, about this wonderful podcast. I feel very humbled because I see the breed of the uh, guests that you had before. So I feel very humbled to be on this podcast, to be honest. It's my pleasure. My <laughs> so thank pleasure. you so much for that. And then, yes, definitely connect with me on Twitter. My name is, uh, my, my, my handle is uh, Nyamor Diaz. So it's uh, my my first name, but in reverse order. Uh, Romain Diaz, but the other way. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn easily. And then follow Satkana on the, on the various uh, social media channels, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, LinkedIn. Definitely, I'm very approachable. Always happy to have chats with people who are purpose-driven, want to make this world a better place. So thank you so much, Nika, for, for having me today. Really, really happy. We've had amazing guests on the show, and I'm very grateful for all of your support. The show is now available also on Google. It's available on Amazon. It's available on pretty much all the platforms, iTunes. We would love any positive feedback you can give on iTunes especially. Leave us a review and keep listening. Appreciate it.